Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The FT. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. It's not too late to still wish you a happy new year, but it has already been an unhappy time for many investors who probably wish they could start 2016 all over again. Falling oil, China's stock market meltdown, the first week of the year has really left its mark on FX. Welcome once again to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly podcast diving into the hidden depths of currencies, the world's biggest market. Well, the market returned from the holiday break to poor China data, and it's been downhill since then. The pace of the Remnimbi's fall is quickening faster than expected, and that is having severe knock-on effects on Asian currencies, while commodity currencies are suffering from oil's continuing price slump. With me to discuss what's been a torrid start to 2016 is Jane Foley, Senior FX Strategist at Rabobank. Jane, uh, your senior market economist this morning headlined his note, Panic Button. He was reflecting how Chinese authorities had suspended equity trading. At the same time, the renminbi is heading south pretty rapidly. So my question to you is, is, does all this feel eerily familiar to the climate that triggered the market shocks of August? Well, indeed it does. I mean, if we go back to August, um, and we can really uh, look at China in a very similar light, some of the structural issues facing China are still very much there. They were at least, I think, put under the carpet a little bit by the Chinese authorities when they tried to stabilise the stock market in July. But the structural issues are still there and they are still uh, spooking the markets. Yes. What about the communication strategy or non-communication strategy? This seems to be where the market is, if you like, having the run on the PBOC. Well, indeed. I mean, certainly if you look at the first uh, couple of hours of trading this morning, certainly with respect to the, the, the currency, then I think you can be forgiven for being a little bit confused. But I think if you step back, it is easier to see the clearer picture. Now, if we refer to a publication by the PBOC towards the end of the year, they, the end of 2015, yes. Yes, they made clear that we shouldn't be looking necessarily at the value of the renminbi against the US dollar, which is, of course, what we're used to doing we should instead be looking at the value of the effective exchange rate. And of course, China has the de facto peg against the US dollar, the US dollar, the strongest G10 currency, really since around about 2011. So that's been dragging up the value of the renminbi at a time where China is slowing and it has weak inflation. The effective exchange rate has been in China has been gaining ground as China or the renminbi gains ground against currencies such as the Aussie, the yen, uh, the euro. And that has been to the detriment, of course, of Chinese growth and it's been to putting downward pressure on inflation. What China wants to do, I think, is get back some of that trade advantage that it's lost through its rise in effective exchange rate. So did you see a logical 
process by which China is, is moving the daily reference rate, the daily fix. Yes. Well, I mean, for instance, if you were to take away some of the, the constraints on the, the renminbi, if you were to open it up more to market forces, and it has been opened up a little bit more to market forces since the summer and since, of course, the IMF have been pressuring uh, the, the Chinese authorities to do that. If you allow market forces in, in there, you would see the renminbi fall rapidly. Now, if we look at China's foreign exchange reserves, again, we had data for that today. Their Chinese, their, their foreign exchange reserves last month depleted far more than the market had anticipated. Yes. And that was because they were trying to artificially prop up the value of the renminbi. So allowing market forces in would weaken that exchange rate. Perhaps the fact that the reserves are falling away relatively rapidly may mean that they have no choice but to allow it to well, fall. We shouldn't forget that this is a central bank which campaigned heavily to gain a reserve currency status from the IMF and in return has pledged a, a more flexible exchange rate policy. So the transition from its controlled exchange rate policy to a more flexible one is clearly going to be quite painful, isn't it? It is indeed. And, and really, you've got to ask who is going to suffer that pain? Because uh, whilst many market players are confused, perhaps, about what's going on, particularly with the day-to-day -day movements of the Chinese renminbi, you should say that Chinese exporters should have a benefit if indeed their, their exchange rate mm. weakens. But of course, on the opposite side of the coin, it's the countries that import into China, and there are lots, uh, they will suffer the most. Now, of course, on the front line of those exporters into China are commodities producers, and they really suffered last year as commodity prices dropped rapidly. China, of course, the largest consumer of commodities in the world. And these guys saw their exchange rates fall rapidly on the back of uh, commodity price falls. Now, some of those commodity producers in the emerging world had rapid inflation on the back of that. But if you look at the developed world commodity producers, so for instance, if you look at Australia, if you look at New Zealand, well, they don't have much inflation. And for those guys, the question is, are they going to retaliate against a weaker renminbi by trying to get their currencies weaker? Are they going to cut interest rates again? And added to them, are we going to see more interest rate cuts from the likes of the Japanese, from the Koreans, for instance, all of whom have China right at the top of the list for export partners? Are you surprised at the pace of the renminbi fall? Yes and no. It's, it's a large move in terms of what we're used to from China. But if we look at the movement over the last 12 months in, in the Chinese renminbi dollar, we've seen a 6% move. If we look at uh, uh, Indonesia and Malaysia, we're seeing moves in double digits over the last 12 months. So the movements are relatively constrained on that basis. What impact is this having on the Fed and its rate cycle calculations? After all, you know, it's not that long ago when this kind of Chinese turmoil back in August derailed the Fed's plans for raising rates in September. So we're now the cycle has begun. So what impact is this latest turmoil going to have in their, in their calculations for the further rate well, cycle? This is really going to play out probably mostly in the first three months of this year. I mean, that question will be a lot easier to answer in, in a few months' time. And, and the reason I say that is that, first of all, we, we need to see how all the other central banks ease. Now, I think if we do get uh, more central banks seeing an extension of their easing cycles, then the implication is that dollar strength could push through. Now, we've already seen dollar strength do a lot of heavy lifting already in terms of moderating US inflation. And if we see the risk that the dollar could strengthen more, doing more of the heavy lifting, keeping inflation down, well, then really, does the Fed have to hike that much? So the Fed's stop plan as it stands suggests that they are likely to hike maybe four times next year. Interesting, yeah. this year, <laughs> interesting in, in the minutes of the December FOMC 
there was a suggestion that the vote to hike rates was perhaps a close call, yes. that many of the members were uh, concerned about moderate inflation. So if we get more central banks prolonging their easing cycles on the back of the China policy, that will f- flow through into the US via dollar strength, and dollar strength could moderate inflation and imply that the Fed doesn't need to hike that much. So it's effectively a continuation of the concerns that the US had. And the continuations have been carrying on into this year. I mean, it's very wearily familiar to talk about commodity currencies being down, Asian currencies being down. I mean, in some ways, you know, what's been happening in the first week of 2016 is nothing more than the market reacquainting itself with the realities of last year and that the fact that they're still with us. Completely still with us. And really, un- until we know that China has a proper handle on managing the structural changes that need to happen, those issues will remain with us. And it could be some years before we're confident that China has properly managed all of these imbalances. So nothing to change your view about the uh, scale of decline amongst commodity currencies, for example? Absolutely not. As long as the renminbi is headed lower, and we think it is headed lower this year, there's every reason to expect that commodity currencies will be pressured lower too. Yes. And this week has seen another sense of familiarity coming back, the flight to safety, the support for the yen and the euro and gold. They're all up this week. To what extent do you think these might still hold, even if risk sentiment perhaps starts to come back? Are you bearish on yen and euro? Well, as soon as risk appetite does start to come back, we will see these currencies shorted again. The yen, the euro, they are carry or funding currencies for the carry Mm. trade. Carry trade works when uh, risk appetite is at elevated Mm. levels. So as soon as we see stock markets going higher, you can expect the yen, the euro uh, to start to weaken. But we do have this backdrop this year, not just of China, but of other geopolitical risks. We've got Saudi Arabia, Iran, for instance. And these are likely to mean that at the very least, we've got some more volatility ahead of us this year. Perhaps at the most, we've got maybe risk appetite being subdued for perhaps large portions of this year. So it's very difficult to predict how geopolitical risk will pan out. But I I think uh, we could see currencies such as uh, the euro, maybe the yen, holding their ground relatively well. Now, whether or not that means that the ECB and the Bank of Japan have to then uh, extend their easing cycles to undermine these currencies will be a very interesting topic this year. Yes. Do you think we're going to be writing and talking a lot about Saudi peg this year? Quite possibly. And the, the issue is if the Saudi dollar peg goes, then it's quite likely peg in, in many other pegs in that region go as well. Yes. But of course, they have this kind of the four-year bank of uh, reserves to play with. Why wouldn't they use all of that? Well, they, they will certainly will for the time being. I, I think, you know, the question is, how long is oil prices going to be at these very low levels? How much further do they have to fall? This time last year, most analysts were anticipating that by the end of 2015, we'd see some degree of recovery. Now, we haven't seen that. Uh, Early this year now, many people think, well, oil is going to remain uh, very low, but perhaps we will see a moderate recovery towards the end of 2016. If that doesn't happen, then the risks to some of these pegs increase. Another big talking point this year is going to be Brexit. And we've seen sterling uh, come off on Thursday pretty significantly, uh, the market falling out of love with the pound, isn't it? Yes, I think it has done. And certainly there's been signs of that really for the last month or so. Now, uh, there's, there's the Brexit fears. I mean, any political uncertainty is, is negative for a currency. So uh, that certainly is going to be a factor for 2016. And on top of that, you could look at the economic data from the UK over the past uh, month or so. And a lot of it has disappointed relative to consensus expectations. Now, 
UK growth towards the end of the year, probably still going to be one of the better numbers of developed countries. But it's certainly disappointing. And just on the economics, you can put together a coherent argument that the Bank of England need not be in a rush to hike rates. Added on top of that, China concerns added on top of that, Brexit fears, the bank don't need to hike interest rates for a long time. And that is what's weighing on sterling right now. Yes. Just finally, Jane, taking the contrarian lead from the market, all this bad news means that any good news that, that comes up suddenly is going to be seized upon, isn't it? And I just, obviously, on Friday, we see the first um, print of payroll numbers out of the US. Just to take your earlier point about what you think might be US Fed linked to China slowdown, is there an argument to be made that actually, you know, we have quite a, a clean market, a lot of short, a lot of positions were taken out of the market at the end of the year. So there's a lot of clean positioning out there. So data is perhaps at the start of the year going to be really quite significant driver of, um, of price. Yes, I think you're right. And the payroll data certainly will be interesting, particularly, I think, the wage data. Now, the consensus expectation for US wage inflation tomorrow is pretty strong. Now, many economists say, well, that's just a base effect. But even so, as you point out, dollar longs were reduced towards the end of last year, meaning that if we do get indications that US inflation is rising, then the dollar is likely to push higher. Great. My thanks to Jane Foley at Rabobank. Thank you for listening to Hard Currency. Do keep in touch with all the FX news in the Financial Times on www.ft.com markets. And join us again next week. You never know, the markets may even have begun to calm down. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. It's presented by me, Patrick Jenkins, the financial editor at the FT, and I'm joined by a team and an external guest every week. You can find this every Tuesday at ft.com slash podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.